is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Jessica Ryan, the chief executive officer of All Together Now, the founder of Broadway Unlocked, and the creator and co-host of Take Me to Coffee podcast. We cover a little bit of everything, from her early inspirations with dance to what her parents taught her about kindness and work ethic, all the way through how she handles a crisis, and so much more. So I hope you enjoy this part one with Jessica Ryan. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Jessica Ryan. Jessica, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me here in our beautiful little Zoom room. Yeah, it's so exciting to uh, to get you on the show. I want to talk about All Together Now, CEO of that, <laughs> founder <laughs> of Broadway Unlocked, and so much more. But before we get to any of that, I want to take it back to the beginning of time for you. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? If you look back at my baby book, you know those like little spiral books from the 80s that were like that documented you across elementary school? Oh, yeah. My entertainment dream apparently was a, to be an orchestra conductor. I don't recall that, but it's writ it's recorded in this baby book that's probably like right behind me right now. Okay. Which I think is interesting, but I I think that comes from I'm I do re remember my great-grandmother took me to see uh an orchestra and I think if my brain has not just made this up that Leonard Bernstein was direct, uh, conducting it. Mm. If I remember correctly. And so that has to have been why I must have gotten super obsessed with that for a while, I think. Was there a defining moment for you when you decided, oh, this is like entertainment. I'm going to do this thing. No, not really. I, I started dance class when I was three mm. and I found out like right before my last parent died, they never told me this, but right before that I was the worst kid in the class in <laughs> dance class, which also no recollection of at all. Oh, um, no. but somewhere over that time I got real stubborn and I was like, I'm not going to quit. And I ended up, you know, being the best dancer in the troupe. And so at some, you know, I think that was somewhere inside that I was, I started dancing six nights a week, five hours a night. And in that time period, which is really like, you know, from age three till about eighth grade, I was like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Did you have any mentors or do you have any mentors? Many. Do you? Do you? Oh, do we well, all, I right? mean, yes, but I'm curious. Yes. Are there any standout lessons from any of them? Yeah, actually, someone just brought this up on another podcast I was on the other day that I had went on the record. So I, as I just mentioned, both of my parents died by the time I was 32. So I was like fairly young and lo had lost both parents and my boyfriend had left me and it was just this like full on life disaster. And my mentor, Cheryl Miller, who was my dance teacher in college, she's the woman responsible for all of our alumni who were on Broadway that are a couple generations older than me. So Deidre Goodwin, Michelle Potteriff, Greg Roderick, Matt Stokes. These are all her kids. Oh, great. She texted me and she said, baby, no one gets famous without being a little fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and she was not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it just builds character if you think about it. Lot, deep well to pull from too, right? Yeah, deep, deep well. I'm, I'm curious, growing up in the younger years for you, what, what did your parents teach you about kindness? Ooh, so much. So this is a fun little, little, little left turn of a story. My dad, also unbeknownst to me until after he passed away and one of his friends told me this. My dad, he worked for Ewing Kaufman. And if you are in startups at all or in and around startups, you've heard of Kaufman Foundation because it's this massive 
you know, United States center that supports entrepreneurship in America. And that's because Ewing Kaufman started Marion Laboratories, a pharmaceutical company from his garage. Mm. My dad worked for him in the really early years, all the way through like the last acquisition of the company. And <clears throat> Ewing had, as I understand it from my dad and many conversations across the dinner table, like a serious commitment to kindness and generosity and giving back. It was just like sort of embedded across Marion and my dad, it just, that was really meaningful to my dad. And he was always talking about it at home. And I think like that is where, you know, that sort of seed of, of, of thinking about how a business can also be um meaningful and mindful right that it really it really started there and so back to the story that my my dad's friend told me my dad ended up being like this wildly um important direct marketing guy who like for was the first guy direct marketing uh executive to successfully take a, a product through a generic launch like where there was a generic competitor and not lose customers and he yeah. did it because he like started a new a newsletter for heart patients with recipes like all these things that we now know come with marketing right all the time sure yeah. and like my dad's friend said you would walk down his hall and he'd have like people had sent him cookies and cards and like all these customers of this heart drug that he was the marketing guy for like sent him all this stuff because they appreciated the way he treated them with kindness, you know? I love that. Yeah. I, it's amazing how, how many, it's a saying, but it's true, how many flies you get with honey. It's, oh, yeah, it's totally. It's just being nice really goes so much further, in the especially in the long run, too. I mean, yeah. you really set yourself up for more success if you're just nice. And not to mention you can go to bed, you know, feeling okay about yourself at the end of the day. Well, that too. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're not, yeah, you're not, you're not hating yourself. You know, yeah. I'm curious, similar question, what your parents taught you, but about work ethic. Oh, geez. I have a terrifying work ethic, I've been told. <laughs> um, and I certainly learned that from my parents but i think i also learned that in the theater uh, and in dance to yeah. be honest like my dance studio as you might imagine if by hearing that i was dancing six days a week five days five hours a night demanded an incredible work ethic right yeah. I and almost probably to a concerning point but whatever it's it instilled it in me and i would go to rehearsals my my grandparents were uh theater actors so i would go to rehearsals with them when i was a kid and i watched how hard they worked and i would you know run their lines with them at home so i had this like early exposure to the dedication and sort of work that and pride that my my family took in the work that they did mm -hmm. um and then, of course, I learned it actually starting to do theater and 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 starting to understand what goes into making something and the ways in which, um, at least for me, I don't know about you, but like I choose to show up for my teams mm -hmm. you know, um, to get things done. So, yeah, I don't know. It's across my parents, the dance studio. Yeah. My experiences with theater. Mm. Yeah. It's such a tough. It can be, I guess, a tough balance to work and then to take a moment for yourself because there's no mm -hmm. defining time on, okay, I've done enough, especially when you're a creator, you know, startup or founder, yeah. CEO, the right. leader. <laughs> yeah. This I'm starting to like, under, this is going to sound so stupid, but I just did not understand that not everyone, I know everyone says don't live for your job, but like we love what we do. Yeah. We are so fortunate 
to do the thing we love. You know what I mean? So it is not just a paycheck. It is not just, it means so much more. And I just didn't like get that. <laughs> not everybody is actually like that. You know what I mean? Yes. I'm learning. It's fine. <laughs> it's a practice. We're growing. It's a journey. Yeah, it's a path. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is there a particular project to date that has taught you the most about yourself? Oh my goodness. That is an awesome question. And there are so many, I'm going to have to whittle it down very quickly. That's fine. I think I'm going to choose to speak about, there are many, I don't know that there's one defining one, but I will choose to speak about my collaboration across 2020 and 2021 with the Paul Taylor dance company. And I choose to speak on that because I think I learned the most about the most things inside that collaboration. Mm. One, just what it means to partner with and to artistically collaborate with a company that has such a meaningful and historied um, canon of works of art. Yeah. And what it means to collaborate inside a new medium with them, right? Because we were doing live digital work, mm -hmm. and where those where those lines of collaboration have how you have to partner with someone, right? Because a lot of times, I think for us, like we're working on something, and it's like what I say goes, right? I'm the director, or I'm the this or that, or the mm -hmm. CEO, but that's just like not how it works when you create a piece, a new piece of art with like a long-standing company. Right. I learned a ton about how artists and other mediums and dance specifically, look at their work and where their value systems lie. Michael Novak, who's their artistic director now, was a really generous, is a really generous um, collaborator and very clear in his communication and his sort of viewpoint on how to protect, celebrate, build upon Paul's work. And sure. I learned a ton about that. I learned a ton about myself in a crisis because, you know, working on uh, live digital is never um, a super calm process because the Internet's a chaos monster. And also, to be perfectly honest, I had never filmed dance before, like when they engaged me to come on and 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 direct these pieces. So I was also scared shitless. Mm. You know what I mean? And so I learned a ton about myself and how I showed up in that moment. And I learned a ton about filming dance, you know, Um and I, I just also just learned those were those collaborations in those couple of years. We worked with very large teams across Paul Taylor and my company, um, and and they were a model for when it works. Do you know what I mean? Like you know how sometimes you get in those situations. You're like why is everybody fighting? Why is everybody have a problem with each other? What is going? What are where are the cracks here? And I'm not saying it was perfect, but it was pretty awesome that collaboration. How do you how do you handle crisis? This is funny. Before you answer that. It's starting okay. to sound like a job interview, which I think is hilarious. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that. Did I get it? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I've never I've never thought of that, but I've I've never also asked this question. Oh, well, how so do funny. you handle crisis? What's the self talk? Um, you will very frequently first hear giggles, wild giggles, out of me. That's like my my initial reaction when crisis happens. It's, it's like just a release. Like, it is. It's like a, oh, and it reminds me like to just kind of like my friend Bill says, go limp. You know what I mean? <laughs> just go limp and let it like, we're going to get through it. Sure, <clears> sure, sure. Um, and I don't know. I, I would be curious to hear the same answer from you. But for me, I, I think 
often my response to crisis is comes from a place of service to everyone else around me if that makes any sense right like that's my first thought is particularly as a leader in a moment of crisis i have to serve everyone around me my client my collaborator my team and so thinking about how that how i will frequently think how can i de-escalate this situation how can i ask the tough questions to get to the whatever is going to be the right answer to get us out of this sure. how do i help someone else understand and feel um feel confident that we're going to get them out of that crisis you sure. know what i mean sure yeah, that's um it helps too to calm when you're helping other people. You know, you're not mm -hmm. focusing on yourself. It's yes. just immediately you calm down because you're you're in service of someone else. Yeah, it's like a great strength and, and also weakness. I don't for me anyway, right? Like I'm so good at taking care of everybody else. Yeah. Not as good at taking care of myself. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I mean, look, we, we like you said, it's yeah. a, it's a journey. We're learning, right? Mm -hmm. I keep working, but I I'm 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 woman enough to say that. It's yeah. not my strong suit, you mm -hmm. know? I'm I am curious in terms of theater, right? And the projects mm -hmm. you're working on, how has your taste evolved? what you choose to do, who you choose to do it with. I'm such a weirdo, Clayton, that I like have no idea how to square away. I have very specific taste, but I do not know how to square it away, right? Like, okay. like I love old classic musical theater, right? Anything, I like I just directed a production of Crazy for You this past summer, and it's my favorite musical because it is so dang stupid. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like I love a stupid joke. I love a bit. But then, like, I'm trained in Suzuki and viewpoints, you know? Like, I love weird fucking physical, you know what I mean? Theater, elevator repair service, like, Worcester Group. I love that stuff. And then when you look at my directing career, so frequently I've done, like, super um, uh, serious play-driven work, right? Broadcast between Riverside and Crazy, Clyde's. I made this crazy Ophir Muse of Fire for the Guthrie Theater with like Mark Rylance and Don Cheadle. Like, I don't understand me, Clayton, is really the thing. Um, and I don't know that my taste has evolved uh, rather than like, I think it's just gotten stronger. You know what I mean? Like my my viewpoint and the things that I like. Mm. That that sense has gotten stronger, but I my tastes have have mostly come from the same place and stayed sort of in those pockets over the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's. I feel like the the more specific one is on what they like, the better yeah. the outcome. Doesn't matter yeah. what it is. Yeah, so long true. as you're specific. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're vague, it's like you know, life punishes the vague wish and rewards mm -hmm. a specific ask kind of thing. It's like oh. it's just. When you're specific, it, it hones in. So I appreciate that answer. Thank you. You have the best phrases, by the way. That's the <laughs> second one you've said in the last two days to me that I've never heard before. And it's so good. I have a bunch. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> and none of them are mine. It's all from okay. books. So Whatever. Not, I don't take ownership over any of these. Um, <laughs> listening. Especially when you're you know, negotiating and building your yeah. business and communicating with other employees or employers, how have you gotten better at listening? I think listening is the most underrated skill one can develop. And for those of us, especially who direct, hmm. 
anything that is next to devised, you know, i.e. it's not scripted, mm-hmm. um, have this like beautiful gift because listening is such a huge component of that, right? Like I think about as a director when I'm making like documentary based pieces on film, like that job is totally listening. I come in with a couple of questions, but you listen, you hear what someone's passionate about, what they're curious about, and then you start asking questions in that direction. So mm. I'm very fortunate to be able to take that 10,000 hours of practice, you know, and listening into my business. And I also was very fortunate. (laughs) It sounds so silly, but for a while to date a guy who taught negotiation workshops. (laughs) Oh, please give me some of those. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever see these? They were always advertising like the airplanes, K-E-R-R-I-S, you know, and it was like big, you know, national negotiating skills workshops. I got to go to one of them one time. And, and it was, so that I was probably 30 or something. So before I had really started running a business and boy, was that a gift. And I tell you what, I don't remember most of what happened there, but the two things that I do all the time, one, one is let someone go first Two well, three, sorry, three things, listen like crazy. Mm. Um, And after you, you, after you say something, just stop talking. Mm. That's the big one I use all the time. Like if I'm in the middle of a negotiation and I am, you know, uh, uh, proactive about offering something onto the table, then I just shut my mouth and you let someone else talk themselves. They'll talk them very frequently, talk themselves around to what you need if you just shut up. (laughs) Isn't that wild? That is wild. And it's so, I mean, it's true. (laughs) Yeah. It's a secret. Yeah, not anymore. It's on the podcast. Well, now it. Yeah, well, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> but it's true, though. Yeah, especially, especially, just communication in general. It's amazing how much yeah. further the conversation can go if you don't meander. Yeah. Well, in podcasting, I mean, you must experience this too. I found like on the podcast I co-host with my friend Andrew, listening. Again, interviewing is all about listening to like being a great interviewer is listening and catching those things and not letting them gloss by and asking and digging deeper. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I does it do you feel like this podcast and th- having that skill set utilized here helps you in your business? A hundred percent. Very early on when I started very early on four years ago when I started the thing mm-hmm. or five now the um, the big difficulty for me the two of them was um say, which I mm. just said mm-hmm. and asking a question and waiting for an answer because I felt like I was discomforting the person that I was asking if they took a moment to think. And the first two to three seconds of silence uh-huh. used to feel like an eternity. Uh-huh. But now, uh-huh. you know, you ask the question and, and very often too, someone will be like, I don't have an answer to that. I'm like, okay, next one. And we move on. Yeah. It's not personal. Yeah. No one's trying to attack anyone here, you know? No. <laughs> no. You know, and if you feel attacked, it says more about you than me. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. It's kind of, <laughs> That'd it's be like the like, world's worst podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just that kind of, you know, because that's why you talk, right? You jump in yeah. to save someone, right? Yeah. And you don't totally. need to. It's part of communicating. You just let let the conversation happen. It'll work out if it works out. And if it doesn't, it doesn't in any sense of that. Oh, I love that. Also, as a guest, I feel like a second ago when you were like, what's the biggest project, you know, that you've learned the most about yourself? That's a big question. So as a guest, like I really appreciate the moment to be able to think so that I can be more intentional with my answer rather than have to rush out with something. You know what I mean? Because we need to get going. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. 
If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another Curiosity Conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.